This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price, because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com galaxy and entering the promo code GALAXY. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 223 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the new HBO series Westworld, based on the 1973 feature film written and directed by Michael Crichton. And this may involve spoilers for the first four episodes of the show, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed and Nightmare Magazines, and he also oversees John Joseph Adams' books, an imprint of Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. He's the series editor of Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy, and he's also edited many other anthologies, including a book of Weird West fiction called Dead Man's Hand. So, John, welcome back. Howdy, partner. (laughs) (laughs) Then next up, we've got Teresa DeLucci making her seventh appearance on the show. She's written about Hannibal and Twin Peaks for Boing Boing, and she's also a frequent guest on Den of Geek's You Still Know Nothing Game of Thrones podcast. She'll be reviewing Westworld for Tor.com, and you should all go check out her Tor.com article, Six Guns and Strange Shooters, A Weird West Primer. So, Teresa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for letting me join your posse again. (laughs) And also joining us today is Rajan Khanna making his sixth appearance on the show. His first novel, Falling Sky, a post-apocalyptic adventure with airships, was released in 2014 from Pirate Books, and a sequel, Rising Tide, is out now. His Weird West short story, Card Sharp, appears in John's anthology, The Way of the Wizard, and a sequel story, Secondhand, appears in John's Weird West anthology, Dead Man's Hand. So, Raj, welcome to the show. Let's saddle up. (laughs) (laughs) And today's show is brought to you by Casper. If you need a new mattress, just head on over to casper.com galaxy and order today. The mattress industry is famous for forcing consumers to pay high markups, but Casper cuts out the cost of resellers and showrooms and passes that savings directly on to the consumer. Your Casper mattress will be shipped to you in a small box, and all you have to do is open up the box and watch as the mattress naturally expands to its full size. Casper combines two technologies, springy latex foam and supportive memory foam, to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Are your dreams haunted by visions of lab coats, operating tables, and the leering face of Anthony Hopkins? Do you lie awake at night paralyzed by the existential dread that everything you know and love is nothing but a flimsy sheet drawn over a dark and sinister reality? Well, a Casper mattress is so comfortable that you'll sleep right through the nightly sessions in which your robot body is tweaked and prodded by unfamiliar hands. So just head on over to casper.com galaxy and order today. It's $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size one, and shipping to the U.S. and Canada is absolutely free. You have 100 days to try out the mattress, and if you decide not to keep it, Casper will pick it up for free and give you a full refund. Terms and conditions apply. So remember, the address is casper.com galaxy, and you should also use the promo code GALAXY, which will get you a $50 discount and also let Casper know that you heard about them here. I'd also like to mention that I was interviewed this week on the Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury podcast. It's an hour-long interview that covers such areas as how I got into podcasting, why I love science fiction, and whether or not I was popular in high school, though you can probably guess the answer to that on your own. Anyway, if you want to go check that out, it's over at jessemercury.com, and it's episode number 55. So big thanks to Jesse for the great questions. All right, and so now let's get to our panel. 
Okay, and so as I mentioned in the intro, this new TV show is based on the movie Westworld from 1973. And Teresa, you told me that you saw this movie, right? So what did you think of it? Right. Well, I just watched it for the first time about two weeks ago in preparation for the show. Um, definitely looks like it was made in 1973, but it's <laughs> still pretty good. Um, very different from the movie. I knew right away that uh, the TV show would be very different from the movie. Um, Michael Crichton directed and wrote it, and you could see some elements he'd explore later in Jurassic Park. But really, the TV show is so different, you definitely don't need to watch the movie to enjoy the show. Yeah, I, I'd also never seen the movie before. I mean, I, people I people had talked about it growing up, so I kind of knew about it, but I never actually watched it. So I went after I watched the TV episodes, I went back and watched the movie. And yeah, the the TV show is a vast, vast improvement over the film. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty low budget thing. It's actually it's eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which kind of surprises me. I, I can only assume there's some a healthy dose of nostalgia at play there. And I mean, I think there, the the movie has two things going for it. Uh, one is Yul Brynner plays right. an amazing robot. That yes. guy was born to play a robot. <laughs> um, and then I thought that the way that they portrayed the amusement park was was quite interesting. And in some ways, I liked it better than the TV show, actually, um, in a couple huh. of very small ways. Um, mm -hmm. okay. But but the, the big liability of the film is that the, the two main characters, the human characters, ha are completely uninteresting. Um, and the, it's really, really slow. And I think that uh, I, I wouldn't particularly recommend it, except of kind of historical interest at this point. Are the themes similar at all? No, it's completely different. I mean, it's basically like evil, you know, robots go crazy and try to kill people. Um, yeah, it's, it's like I knew it from uh, that Simpsons episode where they parodied <laughs> Westworld with Itchy and Scratchy World. Like, <laughs> if you've seen that episode of The Simpsons, you've basically seen Westworld. So basically, like, dinosaurs kind of escape and try to kill people also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Pretty like much. Jurassic Park with robot cowboys. Um, yeah, when I was watching the show, it's like I, I was, I was kind of thinking, like, how did I never see this before? That Westworld was basically Michael Crichton's dry run for Jurassic Park. It, it's like totally is. I mean, come up with a crazy uh, theme park and then have the, the 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 draw of the theme park turn on the guests. It's like, I mean, it's like he literally just did the same plot over again. I'm surprised no one's done cowboys riding dinosaurs attacking people <laughs> in the theme park. So. Well, there's always Jurassic World too, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one thing that's interesting about the film, though, is that Westworld is just one of three kind of areas in this park. There's also like medieval world and Roman world, and the characters end up going to all three in the course of the movie. Yeah, I wonder if they'll ever open it up to more worlds, or they'll just stay in Western world. They could reuse the Game of Thrones set. <laughs> yeah, and then the sets from Spartacus, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wondered about that with the TV show. Since it, since you have a TV show, you have much more um, flexibility and time and space to, to move around and check out other facets of this world. So I, I was curious about that as well to see if they would do that. Um, you know, when I was I was actually doing a little bit of research into, I was just like looking up something about the old movie. And, uh, and I was like, wow, there was a movie called Future World, which was like a sequel. And then there was a TV show actually even called uh, Beyond Westworld, which apparently only aired three episodes and, you know, was not well received. Um, but I was like, that's so crazy. Like I never even heard of that. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm like a, I was like a huge Michael Crichton fan. Like, I mean, like he, he got me into science fiction basically. And so it's like, um, I mean, that's essentially the context in which I watched Westworld. I hunted it down. 
um, originally to uh, in the movie. I hunted it down originally just because it's like I was trying to read and or consume every bit of Michael Crichton, uh, every every bit of entertainment produced by Michael Crichton. You know, so um, it's just kind of crazy that I never even heard about that. Well, everything I read suggested that those are dramatically inferior to Westworld. And mm-hmm. since I just barely made it through Westworld, <laughs> I'm not in any hurry to <laughs> yeah. for those. Yeah, um, you know, Dave, you had asked us if, if we had, if any of us had seen the movie, and and so like I I have, but I just I blocked most of it out of my head. Like I just don't really remember much of it. I mean, I didn't really like it very much. Um, I I do remember that I definitely agree with th- what Teresa said that it definitely feels like it felt it was made in 1973. Um, but um, you know, uh, and, and yeah, like Yul Brenner, like you said, the other thing is like yeah, Yul Brenner was great. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I I didn't really remember most of the rest of it. And so I think that's always a bad sign. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But so Raj, uh, what did you think of the new, just overall impressions of the new Westworld TV show? Yeah. Well, I mean, I actually have this weird affinity for the concept of Westworld. I haven't actually seen the movie, but I always wanted to. And for some reason I just never did. And I think maybe it existed in my head as this ideal version. And I've seen like little bits and pieces, but I don't know why I never got around to watching it because it's right up my alley. Like early seventies science fiction, Western robots, Yul Brenner. I mean, that's all like right in my wheelhouse. But um, when I heard they were remaking it for HBO and I thought, well, okay, this will be interesting because this is a modern take. Um, and if it still kind of hits the same points, that will work for me. And, and honestly, the pilot episode didn't really completely win me over. But as I went through additional episodes, I started to appreciate it more because, I mean, for me personally, I'm a big fan of Westerns. And I'm a big fan of science fictional concepts like, uh, and, you know, I guess we'll get into this as we talk about it, but artificial intelligences or, you know, robots on the verge of artificial intelligence or, or whatever that, you know, concept you, you want to call it. Uh, those two things together, I think, worked really well. Although I'll say, uh, and I mentioned this to Teresa earlier, that I feel like all the concepts worked and intellectually I was really invested in it, but there was something lacking in terms of me connecting with it on an emotional level or, or some kind of, you know, personal level. Uh, and maybe that'll change as the series goes on, but there are very few characters that I felt connected to. Hmm. Well, so Teresa, I mentioned that you'll be reviewing this for tour.com. So what kind of overall, what's your review going to look like? Well, the review for the pilot is going to be, pretty glowing because it left me with so many interesting questions that I was dying to know. Um, I haven't felt this excited after a first episode since probably Lost, and that scares me <laughs> because I know how Lost ended up. I used to review that too. Um, you know, I think the show is going to have quite a few comparisons to Lost because it seems like they're coming up with their own Dharma initiative mythology and a a central mystery um but overall like i love the first episode i love the first four like in general but the very first episode i think was my favorite just because everything was so new and it was so different from what i was expecting partly because i'd seen the movie so i had some expectations of what certain characters might be that they definitely flipped around but yeah overall i I enjoyed the look of it, the the scenery, the music, uh, the costumes, the little attention to detail. And then 
all of these really interesting questions about um, humanity's next evolutionary step, which I thought were handled in a pretty sophisticated way. Yeah, I agree. I I I really liked the first episode. I was totally on board after it. What was why why was it not working as much for you, Raj? I don't know. Maybe because my expectations were high. That's always possible. And I always think a pilot has to do a lot of work. And oftentimes, to me, that's obvious, and that it's trying to do so many things at once to give you the sense of what this world is about. But I think, I don't know. I think it's something. I I think that was the thing. Like this is. The first episode was trying to sell the world, but then as they went on, you got these, you got to relax a bit and show, um, like there's an episode where a character is introduced to the, the, the theme park aspect of Westworld for the first time. And I felt like that was a way better introduction to the audience member because it shows exactly what this experience is about. Um, and so. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if I have specifics. I just felt like the first, I, maybe, I, I think honestly it was high expectations and thinking like, can they do this justice? And it wasn't until I was two or three episodes in that I saw where the plot was going. And I think that was what I was looking for. Mm. All right. So John, where do you come down on this? Uh, I really liked it. Uh, I, um, you know, I didn't have very high expectations at all. Like, as I said, I, I wasn't a fan of the movie and, um, I was, uh, I was encouraged by the trailers that I'd seen of it, so I was like kind of hopeful, but I was, you know, careful to temper my expectations because I was like, well, you know, they had this really great concept before and it didn't work out so well, so let's see. Um, but, uh, I mean, I really was, uh, hopeful because of a lot of people involved, like Jonathan Nolan, um, is one of the, you know, uh, creative team leading the show and like I know Charles Yu, um, the science fiction writer, you know, sort of published more as like literary, but he's a science fiction writer. Um, he, uh, he's on the writing team as well. And so, um, so, so I was hopeful, but it was very cautious. And so, um, I was really pleased that, I mean, it just really exceeded all of my expectations and, um, uh, I'm really excited. Like, I can't wait to watch more of it. Um, and it was one of those things where after we watched episodes, me and my wife would like talk about it and, um, uh, like actually we had, we had like an like, hour long conversation about, um, uh, various theories that we have and stuff, uh, about what, where things might be going and everything. So I think that's always a really great sign. Um, it, it like, I, I mean, it's kind of an obvious comparison, but I mean, like the last time I think I had those types of conversations was when Battlestar Galactica was on and was really, um, was really hit by firing on all cylinders before everything got ruined. Uh, so hopefully it won't get ruined like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm really happy with it. Um, and I can't wait to watch the next ones. And, you know, I'm, I'm really invested. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that Jonathan Nolan is, you know, co-writing, it's co-writing the show basically with his wife or they're, you know, the main people behind it anyway. And I saw one review that was making the point that there's a lot of memento in this where the mm -hmm. care, you know, the, all the robot characters constantly have their memories wiped and, you know, are, mm -hmm. are just sort of baffled all the time by things that they don't remember. Um, do you, I don't know what did you, did you like that the 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 way that it portrayed these characters whose memories are constantly being yanked away from them? Oh uh, yeah, I mean I thought that was really interesting and uh, and I liked the way they were really focusing on like Dolores like they did and um you know really drilling into that one character and and having her be the one that's sort of coming to this realization that like you know that 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 what she believes may not be reality um and uh, I thought they did a really good job and of course you know. People, people may know, like, Jonathan Nolan is the brother of Christopher Nolan, and, but, um, 
uh, Jonathan Nolan actually wrote the story Memento Mori that Memento was based on. So, it, so, so obviously that theme goes way back for him, particularly not, not just that his brother, uh, made that movie. It's like, no, I mean, it's actually started with his story. So, um, so it's not surprising really that he would want to explore that. But, um, I mean, I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense in this context. And I think it's a really interesting way to, to explore that idea. And I saw that, like, when he, he said that what he wanted to, after kind of going back and reviewing the original Westworld movie, he, the the take that he wanted to put on it was, what if we make the robots the good guys and people are the mm-hmm. ones who are horrible and fucked up? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, Teresa, is that, you could see that pretty much, that's what this show is like, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I call it, like, uh, the rich inner lives of NPC. <laughs> you know, I, I've played so many Rockstar games, and I remember what a big deal it was in the press when Grand Theft Auto San Andreas's AI was updated to make all the non-playable characters more lifelike. You know, the traffic patterns changed based on time of day. You know, little pixel Californians jog, ate burgers, talk to each other. So if that's kind of like what we see with Dolores and the other androids. They're on these loops going about their day, and the human players, or like the human park visitors, are there to mess up their storylines and get involved in ways that they see fit. I thought that was really, really interesting. Um the people, like the humans that we met, at least going to the park, largely seem horrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really, really hate Logan. He's awful. Um, so I don't think I really need a show to show me how depraved humans can be. Like, there's <laughs> plenty of that on TV. Uh, the robots are way more interesting. I'd rather watch them uh, work out their flickering of sentience. I think that's much more interesting. Well, I really did like, though, how they took, you know, like, in you know, in the original movie, the Yul Brynner character is this sort of cowboy in black, and he's the main villain, and to make him a human who's obsessed with coming back to this park over and over again. Uh, I, that I was thought that amazing. Was a, a great mm-hmm. touch, yeah. Yeah, and I uh, just to piggyback on what Teresa was saying about uh, the relation to video games, uh, I, I really like that aspect of it as well. It's like a... Uh, you know, I think it was important to try to integrate that into a show like this that's being made now today, um, as opposed to in 1973. Um, so I really like that they did that because it, I think it would feel very weird if they didn't try to, if they didn't sort of try to parallel that whole idea of like you're walking through a town and like this random person's walking up to you. It's like, oh no, that's just, he's just trying to give you some bullshit quest. Like, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's just like, it's just like in a role playing game. And so, um, I really like that aspect of it. Um, and it made it feel like, like realistic to me, like, like that might be what it's really like. Um, one question I have about like the sort of realism of it is like, I don't, I, I, I would like to understand how the guns work. Um, cause they clearly are, are, there's something unusual about how they work. And I'm, I'm very curious cause like they've had a few shots here and there that sort of make you question like, Oh, well, wait, well, he just picked up one of the androids guns. And what does that mean? Um, but then, you know, it's like we see um, one character shoot another. Uh, well, well, Ed Harris's character, the gunslinger, we we see him get shot, um, and and it's like the bullets don't. Nothing happens to him. So it's like okay, well, clearly if a person gets shot, there's some sort of protection that keeps them from getting shot, right? And so it's like I'm really curious, like how does that how is that supposed to work? And um and uh you know is that going to be? I assume it's going to be subverted somehow. But if so, like what's going to be the method of that subversion? Yeah, can I mention just something about the video game thing too? Because I obviously I am also a video game player, and I've played tons of Skyrim and Grand Theft Auto and things like that. And I think that 
I agree that I loved that they picked up on what the modern technology is because I, I was watching with my girlfriend and I was explaining to her who she doesn't play video games that, you know, if you're playing Skyrim, there are people going about their business, talking to each other that, that don't, or I guess the, the more recent games, they have their own little scripts. They're doing their own little things. And sometimes you interrupt that and it influences what you can do. But what I found almost like completely horrendous as a video game player is that generally in those games, if you, kill somebody indiscriminately within the logic of that world, the police or the guards or whoever will come after you. And maybe it'll like in Grand Theft Auto, you can ride it out and you'll be fine in, in, in a little while or in Skyrim, you could escape and no one's really going to remember it. But you know, the fact that this park caters to people to the extent that they don't care if you go around shooting people or torturing people or whatever with these, non-realistic people is what kind of drove it home even more to me that, well, but that that's not the wild west theme though <laughs> i mean it is but like you'd think that that there would be some like nobody else ever reacts you know or they'll look but they don't actually say like oh my god he just shot that guy let's go after him or let's tell the sheriff or whatever and i think that's fine because it shows in the show that this is catering to wealthy people who have possibly very disturbing appetites and that's what it's about it's not about providing an adventure i mean it is for those people who want it but it's for other people it's just let me go shoot a bunch of people or let me go do horribly depraved things in this non-real universe and that made it even darker for me Mm -hmm. Well, Teresa, I thought you were going to mention Red Dead Redemption because I know you're a big fan of that. And I, I saw actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that Jonathan Nolan said explicitly that that was an influence on this show. Could you talk like, did you, did you see that influence on this? Oh, my God. Absolutely. Um, even down to, all right, Westworld's main town is Sweetwater. Red Dead's main town is Blackwater. Mm -hmm. um, there's an Escalera in Red Dead. There's an Escalante down in Mexico in Westworld. The look of it. Um, yeah, Teresa, that, the outfits. that, that like Mexican, pseudo-Mexican city looked exactly like one of the, the towns in, uh, Chuparosa. It was yeah, totally exactly. Chuparosa, <laughs> uh, which is really interesting. And, you know, again, just thinking about like the NPCs and that AI. So in Red Dead, you know, they boasted like over 200 random encounters with NPC programmed to live these frontier lives. Um, you know, you could kidnap a whore and tie her to train tracks for a trophy, or you could bounty hunt and play high honor. Uh, but especially in the second episode of Westworld, I don't know if I want to get ahead or, you know, stop me. But there was a scene that reminded me, um, well, Ed Harris gave a speech and it reminded me of a, a random encounter in Red Dead, where a randomly spawned man wept over the corpse of a loved one. You know, you're alone on the plains at night and this guy appears and he's just weeping on the side of the road over this dead body of his wife until he pulls out a pistol and shoots himself in the head. And it's like, why program a suicide? Why have Dolores, you know, Dolores's parents get murdered every night or her lover get gunned down all the time? And these events happen even if no guests are watching. Mm. So are these droids supposed to be like more sophisticated versions of the pedestrians I run over in GTA? <laughs> or is it like Ed Harris's Man in Black says, when you're suffering, you're most real? Like, would anyone as a guest buy a constructed world as authentic if there was no pain in it? 
What do you think, Teresa, about Raj's point that in Westworld, you're allowed to kill people indiscriminately in a way that you couldn't in most games? Is that true of Red Dead Redemption, that there would be more consequences to just gunning down random people? Oh, yeah. I mean, the posse will come after you, um, like a, a posse of marshals. And then, like, as it gets more serious, like, I think eventually, like, the army will come. <laughs> um, I think I think what would uh, sort of make it uh, make it somewhat more realistic or more analogous to video games is if in the sh- in the show if uh, the park like would fine you for each m- indiscriminate murder that you did that wasn't part of like a narrative like if you just go around like there's there's one scene where this guy he just like shoots up the bar like every like just for no reason he just goes out and shoots everybody it's not he's not role playing he just decided to go blast everybody away um and it's like if, if the if the um the park like would fine you essentially so that you actually had some consequence for it cuz like that's how it would happen in a, in most of the video games like in Skyrim like you could, if you went and murdered a bunch of people in a town like you could escape and you'd be fine if you were outside that town but if you got back into that place like you'd have this bounty on you and guards would recognize you as soon as you walked in and you'd have to pay that bounty and, and like so you know you can make it go away by just paying this bounty but um depending on how bad you were it's like it might be significant you know so um so I thought that would actually help in the show to explain some of the sort of culture that they're sort of playing with there um but also one thing I, that bugged me about the the way the the park works is that um you know I, I was saying how the human guests can't be killed right which obviously that makes sense but um and and one guy gets shot who's a human and he and he discovers that like obviously he didn't get killed but uh it did like hurt a little bit like and he was surprised that it actually hurt a little bit it wasn't it wasn't just pain free but so that's good but on the other hand like you don't have like a health meter or anything like you know so you right. can just run into this building full of bad guys and like blast everybody away and like you know maybe you're going to get shot a few times and maybe it'll hurt a little bit but like you'll be fine like in terms of the narrative um i i I wish that there was some way that they they could actually like sort of take damage so that you know you can't just go and run indiscriminately it's like you got to play the game you got to play because otherwise it's like it kind of makes it seem like um a little bit pointless to some degree yeah like a cheat code yeah yeah it's not it's not a game, though, that's the thing. And, and it's not a role-playing experience, which, you know, if that were the case, you would have police, you would get thrown into jail, you would kind of, maybe if you got shot, you were like a timeout for a little while. Um, it's more of a, you know, m- multi, uh, like a, a whorehouse that reaches beyond sex in the sense that you can do violence and you can go on adventures and you can do all kinds of things, but it's catering towards base desires for the most part. I mean, obviously there are some people who, who they've shown in the show who go there and they want to play the bounty hunter and they want to do the things. But again, how much real risk or how, how engaged can you be if you know you're never going to get hurt? You know what I mean? So you could storm into the bad guy's castle and just shoot everyone and take as many shots as you want. But you know, that, that's the thing about games that I think if you're a gamer, you play for the challenge too. You know, you, you don't want to just walk in and be able to do anything because you're trying to figure it out. Or in role playing games, I think a lot of people, you know, they're trying to play a character, you know, like, how do I get into this sealed place? Do I stealth into it? Do I just run in, you know, attacking or whatever? So, and that's, I, you know, it's fine that that's what this park is about, but it, to me, it makes it so much more of a dirty place. Um, not dirty in the kind of moral sense, but well, in the moral sense, but not <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, 
Well, let me, I want to pick up on John's thing about the guns, because I mean, I could go on for an hour about sort of logistical questions I have about mm -hmm. this, but sure. I don't want to, I don't want to like o overkill that, but just a couple of things. Like, I was never sure how often they reset the robot's memories. It seems mm -hmm. like, you know, the different things seem to contradict each other. And yeah. then it, it just seems like such, so ridiculously dangerous for, for, for a place that's supposedly safe for the guests. It seemed just ridiculously mm -hmm. dangerous, even when they're having like the horse pull the safe out of the bank and run it through mm -hmm. town. Like, how can you just have robots doing mm -hmm. that kind of stuff without an, you know, an unacceptable risk that the guests are going to be injured in the middle yeah, of this, yeah. you know? Actually, Dave, can I just, uh, in response to what you just said, one thing that kind of tied into what I was saying before is what's interesting to me is that all of this is happening at the same time and the timing is very unclear about how this stuff loops because let's say I'm in Westworld and let's say John's in Westworld and I'm going to be sadistic and just start shooting people up. But he's there to actually go on an adventure and he wants to talk to the old prospector or he wants to talk to somebody who's going to send him on an adventure. And I just go ahead and shoot that dude in the head. You know, isn't that interfering with his experience? I know yeah. that the park is catering towards everybody, but you, you know, you'd think that they would have some rules in place so that one guy doesn't ruin everything for everyone else. Well, but that kind of comes up in one scene, right? Where there's a two of the guests are at loggerheads and they can't shoot each other, but they can threaten to shoot the robots that the other one wants for their storyline, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah, but I mean, I think I think Raj makes a good point. I mean, it's also like from an economic standpoint, it's like it, it also is confusing because like if this one guy who goes up and shoots up the bar, it's like he paid the same daily fee to get into the park as anybody else, and yet he just caused so much damage to all these androids because it's like they have to like I mean like you, you see the behind the scenes thing where um you know the 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 park staff are basically rebuilding these androids almost from scratch like. You know, uh, when they get all shot up and stuff, like, they have to, like, clone new bodies, basically. Um, and so it's like, if, um, if that one guy can just do that without, uh, any, uh, repercussions, it's kind of ridiculous. And, and yeah, but I mean, it also comes into play when you say, like, like Raj says, I mean, um, yeah, it's going to interfere with the, with the fun of everybody else, um, who wants to come in and not just indiscriminately murder people. What if what we don't see is like Westworld is like a cruise? Except at the end, like you think it's all inclusive and they hit you with like <laughs> the saloon bill. Yeah. Except now yeah, they yeah. hit you with a dead robot bill <laughs> and it's like another $40,000 <laughs> there. And that's what the man in black is about. He's the most disgruntled customer. <laughs> yeah. But what would be interesting is if, if you know, like it, this is probably how they're playing it, but that like if you want to hang out with, what, what was the name of, uh, what's her name? Dolores, right? So like, Say you're a regular, you know, like you're one of those guys who goes to Disney World all the time. And so you're like, oh, God, you know, I hope Dolores is free this time because I really want to do that storyline. And somebody else got Dolores first or, you know, you have to wait your turn or whatever it is. But I agree. I mean, logistically, I think it starts breaking down the more you look into it on a, on a certain level. Yeah, I kind of like to see them pull back outside of the park at some point so we can see like what the perception of this park is in the real world. I mean, I don't know that that would be an interesting episode, but I'm very curious about it. Like, uh, like what Dave was saying with the, with the, with the, uh, safes getting pulled out of the bank and all that. And, 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 or not the bank, but the safes getting pulled through the street and everything. It's like, it's so dangerous, right? Like I can only imagine like just hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people have died, <laughs> you know, you know, even, even with all the safeguards that they have. And I mean, I can imagine other safeguards, like, when that particular set piece is happening, they're going to pull the safe out, you know, with the horses and everything. Um, 
you know, I can imagine they had like certain androids who are just basically background characters who are designed to sort of make sure that the street is clear or something like that. But still, even with that kind of protection in place, it's like people are going to get trampled and stuff. Um, but I mean, I'd be really interested to see like what the real world perceives this park as because it's, it seems crazy, you know? Well, well, uh, well let me say, John, cause I, I think that like it was, from a plausibility standpoint, they kind of have try to have it both ways where this is like Disney World where people just kind of come on a lark and bring along the wife and she's not that into it and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's also like a like a big game safari hunt or like climbing Mount Everest or something where it's super dangerous and you're paying a lot of money to do it. And only people who are really, really motivated, it seems, would, would be interested in it. Yeah. And yeah. I think it should be more like the latter. I could believe it where, you know, you're signing all sorts of waivers right. that, you know, you're, you're risking, you know, getting injured and all this stuff. And but they did say that if you stay in the center of town, you're probably going to have like, you know, the, the kind of relaxed, I'm in the Wild West experience. And the further you went out from town, it got more dangerous and more kind of risky. And so I think... I, to me, that's how they set it up. So, like, if you come with the family, you just stay in the center of town, and maybe one day, you know, the the husband goes off to like do some kind of risky thing, or the wife goes off to do some risky thing. Um, and you know, I I don't know exactly how that's clear. We have obviously seen in the first four episodes some dangerous stuff happen out in the wilderness, but um, all the, on the other hand, I agree that in town it seems pretty dangerous too. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the middle of town is where the safe thing happened, you know? So, yeah. uh, you know, I totally get what you're saying, though, Dave. That makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, like that would make more logical sense to me. I also want to say quickly, John, your thing about what is the outside world like, mm -hmm. because that's another thing that just doesn't seem really to work in the show to me from a science fictional standpoint is that everybody comes here and doesn't seem to know what Westworld, <laughs> how it operates at all yeah. when they paid all this money to do it. And the idea of like having sex with a robot is something like, like a lot of them doesn't seem to have even occurred to them. Really, you can do this, and it seems <laughs> right. like this is the only place you can have sex with a robot. And I just don't, don't understand how this park could exist in a world where having sex with a robot isn't something you could do outside the park. Like, why would that right. be the case? I mean, the only thing I can think for that is that that this guy pioneered these robots, and and they're the only ones. He he's got like some sort of patent on whatever makes the artificial intelligence work. So. I mean, I don't know. But yeah, it does seem incredibly hard to believe that that people would go there and not actually realize that's a thing that you can do at Westworld. It's like that's that's the main selling point probably for half the population. Um, you know, so it, it is a little bit ridiculous. Can I ask a question about to to you guys, uh, because the sex thing brought it up in my head. Do you think, based on what you've seen, that the androids are made out of living tissue or something approximating living tissue, or do you think it's all simulated? Yeah, no, it seems like it seems like it's some kind of realistic, a very realistic tissue, if not actual flesh. I mean, uh, the way uh, I think the that's I think that's one of the things that wasn't um, clear in the um, in, in the preview episodes we saw, because I think that those visual effects were not final. Uh, so like when they were building the androids, we couldn't quite tell, like, how was that happening? Like, I, I was imagining that that was a stand in and that they were actually going to actually it was actually going to look like they were building real flesh onto these robots because, you know, when they get shot up and stuff, it's got to look realistic. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I was imagining that it was more like they were more like biological, like sort of like the, um, uh, you know, like the seven uh, androids or the, the seven in uh, Battlestar Galactica or whatever. Is that how many there were? Um, uh or the nine or whatever it was, you know, the advanced ones, the ones that look like people. Like I imagine that it was like that. Where six. Um, well, no, <laughs> she was, was more one than of six. Them. 
Six is one of them, yeah. Um, but anyway, I imagine it being more like that. Like, uh, and I, I kept thinking of Battlestar Galactica while watching the show, obviously, and, um, I was like, you know, well, they're not gonna make the stupid, uh, mistake of identifying how many androids there actually are, or how many models there are, so that people can, like, you know, mark them off as they, <laughs> as they disappear or whatever. Wait, I wanna go back to the, the sex thing for a second. Um, like, Teresa, I, I wanna, Teresa, what did you think about, like, the robot sex and nudity and all that kind of stuff in the show? Um, yeah, I had heard a lot of talk about the portrayal of rape in this show actually before, um, I watched any episodes and I was kind of warned by, you know, the blog manager at tour.com, like, Hey, you cover Game of Thrones. Um, I'm hearing Westworld has, it's kind of rapey. Is this something that you want to cover? I mean, cause if it, you know, if you're tired of that from Game of Thrones, then it's cool. You could just say you're not interested, but, um, I think the show handles rape and consent and sex really interesting um, because it's asking you to ask these questions about what is intelligent, what is, are they living, are they, what are they, what are the droids, what are they? I keep calling them droids, but it sounds mm-hmm. like C-3PO and everything. <laughs> they're a lot more sophisticated. Um, the nudity in the Delos universe, you know, like in their dream, like behind the scenes, it's really creepy to see them um, just so matter of fact nude, you know, like they're, you know, a robot doesn't feel modesty, it doesn't feel shame, so they're naked and we'll stack them like cordwood and hose them down at the end of a day, like it was very disturbing imagery, uh, but I thought it was handled very nicely, it made it feel more creepy and it, it made you ask questions like why why does this storyline for dolores exist why you know clementine and oh it was, it was interesting well so it's did you guys follow this controversy about the consent agreement with the extras oh no what no okay yeah so so all the extras in the backgrounds were all naked all the time you know the who are the robots in the background shots there was this controversy because of the the um uh, the consent agreement that they had all had to sign came out And it's pretty amazing. It says, This document serves to inform you that this project will require you to be fully nude and or witness others fully nude and participate in graphic sexual situations. By accepting this project assignment, you may be required to do any of the following. Appear fully nude, wear a pubic hair patch, perform genital-to-genital touching, have your genitals painted, simulate oral sex with hand-to-genital touching, contort to form a table-like shape while being fully nude, pose on all fours (laughs) while others who are fully nude ride on your back, ride on someone's (laughs) back while you are both fully nude, and other assorted acts the project may require. Whoa! Well, and this is why Spartacus hired uh, adult entertainers. <laughs> ha! Um, wow. We're four episodes in. I didn't see any kind of nudity like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, as far as the nudity goes, I mean, that that document sounds shocking to me, and I, <laughs> it's honestly kind of hard to imagine that many people signed it. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I was a little, like, like in the storage facility where they had the the non-functioning robots, like okay, that made sense to me. Like if they're going to store them nude in there, you know, because they're just robots and they're and they're powered down. There's no reason to have them all dressed up or whatever. And they probably need those outfits to put on some other robot or whatever. Um, but uh, like when they were working on them and they were like talking to them, like uh, like you know, some a bunch of the conversations with Dolores, she's sitting there naked. Um, and some of it she has clothes on, but I mean like. It, that that seemed a little bit weird to me. Almost like it was like, well, hey guys, this is HBO. We got to have a bunch of nudity. We have a, we have to have as much as nudity as possible because people like to see them titties, you know. Um, and 
you know, it's just, it was really confusing to me that they would do that. Like, uh, I mean, even to the extent where, um, I think, I think it was Anthony Hopkins character, like saw somebody who actually had one of the androids covered and he goes over and takes it off of them. So like, I guess just to make the, the sort of, um, info dump point that like, oh, ro- robots have no, uh, shame. So they, they, you know, there's no reason, they don't have any modesty. There's no reason to cover it, uh, which uh, obviously you would understand. But, um, I just thought it was weird that they, you know, emphasized that they had to be there naked all the time. It's like, well, if they're just going to fix them, I mean, if they're just going to be fixing something in their the head. Laundry. <laughs> I mean, commended. I mean, maybe. maybe. You know, it just, it I don't know. Weird. It, it felt a little exploitative, but, um, you know. See, Raj, what did you think of the robot sex and the nudity and stuff? Uh, I think that it got better after, you know, as we went into the four episodes. I think in the, the first episode, it felt, um, not only a little gratuitous in places, but it felt very gratuitous in terms of violence as well if i can throw that into the mix and then i think as the the episode like from two to four it got better a lot of the violence was done off screen a lot of the nudity again became that weird kind of uncomfortable these are uh androids robots whatever you want to call them um in a treated in a kind of you know very almost offhand way uh i did think i'm probably the one person here who thought it was still a bit rapey and I think part of that is I understand what they're going for, but I also found it hard in some places to pick up on who is supposed to be a real, real person and who is supposed to be part of the park. And so, you know, I get that, like, I'd be more willing to say, oh, they build a bunch of rape into this, you know, Western fantasy because they figure that's what the West was all about or or whatever. Um, But then obviously the humans who come in are also kind of rapey. Um, And I think part of it was just, well, they have these, you know, they have the whorehouse and they have these, these androids that are willing to sleep with any of them if they want. Um, why, you know, obviously that, the, the idea, I guess, is they're trying to show that there are some really sick people who go to this place to experience really sick fantasies. But, um, I don't know. It, I, I think I'm just fatigued by rape in television because it's so omnipresent that it just, kind of felt like more of the same. So um, maybe if that hadn't been a, a, a factor, it wouldn't have bothered me so much. I thought, Rush Speak, when you say like the um, guests are all sick, I thought that was, I thought the show really hit that pretty heavily. Um, that there's, you know, that just going to this park and shooting and having sex with robots is just inherently degrading to your humanity and things. And it made me wonder, I mean, if, you know, people play, like we talked about earlier, play uh, Grand Theft Auto and, you know, run over people and all this kind of stuff. Is there something, is there anything different about going to Westworld and shoot robots than playing a video game like that? And do we think video games are, you I, know, sick for I'll sick say people? Th- <laughs> I think the difference would be that if you saw somebody that seemed human on every level and reacted in a human fashion, that your empathy would automatically kick in. And so, you know, whereas when you're watching a pixelated human on a screen, it's a very different experience. Um, and the other thing I want to say is like many, you know, people who are not depraved and not, you know, terrible people who would ever rape somebody play out rape fantasies in their, their healthy sexual lives. And so I do see that, you know, you could make the case that if they don't think that these are real people, then maybe they're just playing out fantasies that they could never express in real life. But I think... You know, I think there's one thing between imagining that in your head and being confronted with a person who is, you know, who looks, 
to all intents and purposes real. And I, I think that's an interesting thing about the show is like, you know, even if somebody tells you they're not real, they're not real, they're not real. Like, what does it take to overcome that? Um, because obviously there are some characters we've seen in the show who react as if they're real people. And, you know, they, they've talked about how people fall in love and they, they, because they react as human beings. Um, and is that, is the fact that you can see these people as non-human beings, like, does that make you smarter or does that make you, you know, more depraved? I don't know. It's, it is an interesting thing to think about. I mean, Teresa, what do you think? Is it worse to do something in Westworld than in Red Dead Redemption? Hmm. Well, I mean, Red Dead, you know, you go into it as one set character and you can play him however you want. You can be a, a black hat or a white hat. And with his backstory and experience, I usually play high honor. But if it's something like Grand Theft Auto, no, I'm, I'm a psychopath. Like, I, you know, I'm bad. I'm a very <laughs> bad person in Grand Theft Auto. Which, um, by the way, Grand Theft Auto V, one of the main characters, he's in Westworld. Hmm. Um, that guy Rebus with the, the big mustache, who, um, is one of the, the people, uh, attacking Dolores. Um, you see him more in episode three as well when they're talking to him about why he glitched out and, and the milk and everything. Uh, he played one of the main protagonists in Grand Theft Auto V. I'd know that voice from anywhere. I killed <laughs> so many people with that voice. <laughs> um, but with Westworld, you know, it's, I would say, no, there's not as much difference between that and Grand Theft Auto. But what makes it different now watching Westworld and knowing that the androids are starting to come into consciousness, then it's absolutely wrong <laughs> to be treating them like you do. Right, because that was actually one of my issues with this show is that, I mean, I, I think it's good. I mean, I would recommend everyone watch it. It's really good, well acted and well written and dramatic and good visuals and all, I mean, everything. But as sort of science fiction, I thought it, it was a little less interesting to me because I feel like I, I, I saw a comment years ago that I think is really true where it said that science fiction movies in particular can only see robots in one of two ways. Either they're killer monsters or they're an oppressed minority. Mm -hmm. And um, and there are so many other ways that they could be handled, but it seems like they always fall into one or the other or both. And that's kind of the case here. And, you know, obviously, if the robots are sentient, then the ethics is all overdetermined. Right. Obviously, then it's they're 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 victims and everyone who's doing bad things to them is horrible. And it's very black and white and simple how we feel about this. Whereas if the robots aren't sentient or at least we have no good reason to think that they are, then how people treat things that look human but aren't sentient, I think is a much more interesting question. And how to, you know, how do people like, like maybe it's a, it's a big problem for this park that people are constantly falling in love with the robots and trying to save them, even though they're just like characters from Grand Theft Auto, you know, they're not sentient at all. And, you know, and, and people get into fights over them. And I don't know, that just seems more interesting to me. Uh, and sort of the ethical things that come out of that seem more interesting to, to me than like, like now that we know that the robots are sentient and they're basically like humans and they're getting their memories back and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I know exactly where there's only one place the story can go and it's where the stories have gone millions of times before. And I don't know, I would rather have seen something different. Mm -hmm. I don't know, John, you're saying, mm -hmm, what do you, what do you, do you want to expand on that? 
Oh, you know, I mean, that's a really interesting point. Um, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, definitely the show does not, um, it doesn't like take, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't explore it in a, with a real science fictional lens. It's kind of using the furniture of science fiction to tell this interesting story and what it's doing, it's doing pretty well. But like, yeah, as a piece of serious science fiction, it, it doesn't really work. Um, and I mean, I think that's the frustrating thing about it, but I, I think it's firing in enough cylinders otherwise that um, I find it really interesting and I'm, I'm curious to see where else they're going to go with it. But I think that's a that's a good point that you make that it's like, well, there's probably really only, you know, one place it's going to be able to go. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, it would be great if they if somebody would do something with AI at some point that like broke that mold a little bit. But um until then, um, I'm happy to get something that's uh, that does that that deals with the with the trope as well as this does. Yeah, I'll, I'll just mention the move, the Spike Jones movie, Her, as an example, mm-hmm. where the AI in that is, I think, intended to be sentient, but it's not, it doesn't fall into that killer monster or oppressed minority trope. Um, so just if, if people are wondering, like, well, what would they do that was different? I mean, that's just an example of how you can tell kind of a more inventive story, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Do, Raj, do you, do you agree or disagree or anything? I mostly agree. I mean, I think it's, it's not treading much new ground. I think what's more interesting is the motivations of the people who started this park, because I think that there are, you know, that, that seems to be one of the underlying mysteries or, or plot threads. And, you know, what are the intentions for them and why are these things happening? And is there an ultimate reason behind them? And, you know, it seems like some people are kind of invested in, in this kind of evolutionary growth in the thinking of the androids and some people are opposed to it and i think that's kind of more interesting to me and also just because you know i think we all probably have a sense of where the main plot thrust is going how do they intend to sustain this if it's going to last beyond a season or two seasons or three seasons yeah and i don't know if you saw james marston was quoted as saying that they're like talking about five or six seasons for this show so Mm. oh wow they're Mm. They have some 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 sort of long term plans in mind. I don't know what Teresa. What do you think about about what we were talking about about the ambition ambitiousness of this as science fiction or things like that? Um, well, I guess all right. So first off, this week it just happened. I've been rewatching some Star Trek Next Gen, and I got to the episode where there's a trial about Lieutenant Data. Is he a man? Is he property? That's the best episode. It was fantastic. And I'm like, oh, wow, it's really funny that I got to this episode <laughs> while I've been watching all this Westworld because I thought in like their little hour, they kind of summed up this great, this great quandary, you know, at the center of what's the androids, you know. Um, so I'm just, I pulled up a quote from, uh, the captain, not Picard, uh, the, the judge in that episode saying, it sits there looking at me and I don't know what it is. This case has dealt with metaphysics, with questions best left to saints and philosophers. I am neither competent nor qualified to answer those. I've got to make a ruling to try to speak to the future. Is Data a machine? Yes. Is he property of Starfleet? No. We've been dancing around the basic issue. Does Data have a soul? I don't know that he has. I don't know that I have. But I've got to give him the freedom to explore that question himself. Which was something that I thought was really interesting as we're looking at Dr. Ford and what he sees is like humans in this world have kind of reached their evolutionary peak. The only thing left to challenge is death really to make themselves immortal. So it was just 
kind of stand to reason that humanity's next step would be to make a version of themselves that cannot die and feel like they've mastered that. But what are you actually making and getting into? Is it real? Is it independent? You know, I think, you know, Westworld is working very well at that level. And I'm really curious to see what's up with Dr. Ford because he's a really strange guy. And I wonder what his ambitions were when he started to build the park with his partner, Arnold, and where they are now. Okay, I just want to add parenthetically that that episode of Star Trek was written by Melinda Snodgrass, mm-hmm. um, yes. just as a uh, example of how having people who read and write science fiction <laughs> short stories and novels have a lot to contribute to <laughs> television. Yeah, that makes fiction. a huge difference. Um, yeah, and I'm not even kidding. That literally is, I think, the best episode of Next Generation. It's called Measure of the Man. Mm-hmm. Man, I've got so many more episodes to watch, though. So. <laughs> that was it? It's all downhill from here. Sorry. Damn it. Dave, I think what you're saying is that television should hire all of us to write for their TV shows. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I I made my big pitch when we were talking about Star Trek. And, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. You know, Brian <laughs> Fuller never came calling, so, you know, I don't know that this is going to work. Um, all right, but it sounds but like... John- did anyone catch... Oh, I'm sorry. Rob- all right, so Dr. Robert Ford, that's Anthony character, uh, Anthony Hopkins' character... Um, Raj, I know you've seen the movie. I think we watched it together. Uh, Robert Ford is the name of the man who shot Jesse James. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That stuck out to me, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which was Mm -hmm. a great postmodern Western. And I'm like, where are they going with this name? Hmm." Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Well, John, it sounds like we're getting into the uh, section of this discussion that we previously agreed might want a extra super special spoiler (laughs) warning. So if anyone really doesn't want to hear details about episodes three and four and stuff, uh, you know, wait until after you've watched them to listen to this. But so uh, how about theories about what I mean? Yeah. So 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 there's the issue of like, what is the main project of the secret group within you know, the the park hierarchy. I mean, I, yeah, I think they're definitely going to create, you know, there, there's some people obviously who want to create sentient life. I also have a feeling like they might want to um, be getting these robots good enough before they can release them to the mass market. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that they're planning to just, you know, mass produce these robots now that they've kind of got them perfected and just have, have them in every house. And that that's going to have profound ethical implications you know that that it's not then it's not just going to be a few hundred of these things it's going to be potentially millions of them being um mistreated by humans mm-hmm. um but so so but john you said you what, what are your um you said you have some ideas about where you think yeah. the story might go or yeah yeah so and like now i'm just going to throw this theory out there and it's like i have i feel like i have a bunch of the puzzle pieces but i'm not sure how they go together quite yet. Um, so if it doesn't really quite make sense, like, you know, keep that in mind. But, um, so Ed Harris's character, um, I actually thought that he was an Android until, um, somebody in the park recognized him. So somebody like a, per- a real person recognized him as, as being some philanthropist. Um, and, uh, he's never named, uh, but 
up until that point, I was like, oh, I thought he was maybe a, a, an android, poss- possibly partly because um, his character is the most analogous to Yul Brenner's character from the movie, which, you know, and he, he's a gunslinger that goes crazy and starts, you know, killing guests. Um, and uh, so Ed Harris, I was thinking that he maybe was that same character, um, but yet he had discovered some way to um, protect himself against the guns that, you know, like the way, the same way real people have that protection uh, because we see uh, somebody shoot him and, and he doesn't get hurt. Um, but then um, as I was sort of, uh, I, I sort of got derailed along those lines when, when this guy recognized him, but then I was thinking, well, what if Arnold, uh, the mysterious, like missing, um, park co-creator that like has i think he killed himself or he died anyway he's he's gone now um you know uh i was thinking that perhaps that he would figure out a way to like to download his consciousness into this ed harris robot um and enabled it with some you know capabilities that make it sort of like a super android um and this whole maze thing that he's hunting around for is somehow going to uh allow him to like discover himself <laughs> in a way. Um, so I don't know. Like I, I felt like there was a lot of pieces that, that supported that theory, but like a lot of it's all sort of just guesswork at this point, but I still feel like there's, there's something not right about that guy. He's not, he's not just a regular person as he seems to be. Um, so that, I don't know. That's my opinion. Yeah. Well, like even on Wikipedia, he's just called the gunslinger. Yeah. 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 I'm with you, John, because at first I thought, you know, again, watching Westworld, like all this time I was like, oh, surely Ed Harris is going to be badass enough to step into Yule Brenner's shoes and, mm-hmm. and do this role. And then you're like, oh, wait, no. But then I thought maybe he was like, you know, right, so he's not an android. Then I thought, what if he's like a manifestation of this contagion malware that's, you know, short-circuiting the robots in this existential way? Is he the one who planted the picture, planted the gun by Dolores's ranch? He's wanting everybody to remember, and he seems to be going after the older robots in the park, ones who have had really long-running stories, like several iterations. I think of uh, Dolores's dad. That actor was fantastic when he's like just so flummoxed by this picture of a woman in modern times that like he can't even get out his sentence of saying like. I wouldn't have it any other way. Like he just stumbles over it and then they de- decommission him. He had like that old story that was part of like a cult in the hills. And it seems like there's something to that horror narrative that's starting to come back. And it's one of the older storylines in the park. And the man in black now was around for that for some reason. Was he like a third partner or something? Like, how does he know all of this? Does he, you know? Yeah, but, you know, for a long, until someone, until a human from the outside world recognized him, I thought maybe he was a virus. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, why do you think, I don't remember actually a lot about Arnold's, but I, sort of the impression I was left with was maybe that he had killed himself because he had discovered that the robots could become sentient and was consumed by guilt over how they had been treated. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe Anthony Hopkins knew that, like, like maybe he killed him or maybe he, you know, kept secret the reason he had killed himself or something like that. Cause he was, he's continued to, cause obviously he cares well, about the park more than he cares about anything else. Yeah. Well, my theory with that is I hadn't actually thought of it until you just said it, but 
that kind of fits with my theory still. If if he tried to stop Anthony Hopkins from continuing down this line of 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 you know advancing the androids and stuff and, and like continuing to use them this way, even though they're becoming sentient, and so he he finally got to the point where he couldn't you know make any headway in convincing him, and so uh, trying to destroy it from the inside is the only way he saw that he could save everybody, you know, and so like he would create this uh, this uh, version of himself. Um, and then download himself into it. Although, if he was going to do that, it doesn't actually make sense that he would make himself look exactly like himself, um, because then Anthony Hopkins would be able to recognize him. But, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, that kind of that kind of potentially fits, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that my, my first thought was that he was Arnold himself, and that, you know, the, everyone says he died, but there was some, either he went off, you know, he went actually just deep into the... Uh, the world kind of went off and, but you know, why wouldn't they be able to find him? Um, but I do like the idea of downloading the consciousness because I think that's hinted at that. That's the aim of several people. Like for example, I don't remember what, um, Jeffrey Wright's character's name is, but the Bernard Bernard. So it seems like his ultimate aim at, at this stage is to recreate his son in this kind of level. Uh, so if that technology is kind of what people are playing with, then, then maybe Arnold could download himself. But like the things that are giving me pause are what you mentioned that one, somebody recognized him and that that security guy, the QA guy, two times it came up to him about the requests, like the thing with the cigars came up to him. And at one point in time, he said he gets anything he wants. So either he's, from outside and it's just like donated so much money or i mean we we know from uh the 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 asshole brother-in-law guy that you know there are people who have investments in this company and so like he's there to inspect it so maybe he's involved in that in some way but i i think the arnold connection is is too blatant i think i i would be surprised if it was anything other than that but the question is like what you know what's going on here with and what's the labyrinth or the maze sorry and like you know i that's that's actually the most in, interesting thing to me of the storyline moving forward so i'm interested to see where it goes but it sounds like hopkins wants to keep these things as you know just servitors and you know non-sentient creatures whereas arnold it sounded like wanted to give them more that was my interpretation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so in preparation for this panel, I went back and listened to our uh, Weird Western panels that we did, Raj, that you joined us for. Um, yep. There was one we did in episode 90 and then one in episode 109. And one of the, and in episode 90, we talked about Weird Western movies. And one of the big takeaways is that there aren't very many good Weird Western movies. Um, and pretty much The Burrowers was the only movie that we really endorsed as being any good. Um, but I thought that this was pretty good. So I'm just curious, do you guys think that this, this, where do you think that this show stacks up in terms of other fantasy, sci-fi, Western kinds of things? Is it near the, near the top or I don't know, how would you rate it? I wouldn't call it weird. I wouldn't call it weird Western at all. Me neither. There's (laughs) absolutely no element of weird to it. Well, there's like robots. Yeah, Yeah, but that's not weird. That's science fiction. Well, see, my issue is that it's not really a Western. The Western is part of, is it like a mini part of the science fictional aspect of it? Um, I do think it's, it's a science fictional Western thing. And I think in those terms, it's probably near the top of the kind of things that I'm, uh, 
used to. I mean, I wouldn't probably rank it as high as Firefly, but that's because I just love that show. So, <laughs> okay, so like I, I, you guys, you're being very specific <laughs> about the genre here. Like, I mean, I, I thought that I was into like you know keeping <laughs> up these subgenre boundaries, but okay, like no, Firefly is not a weird western. That's a space western. That's different. I that know, is different. Yeah, that is that's not a different weird. thing. That's but this. I, I did this specify is, space. I, I did specify exactly. western things. So, but this, this is this. Uh, like this would fit my definition of weird western because I, I use weird western just mean like a western that has science fiction or fantasy elements because like um wild wild west the you know the will smith movie like i mean that's obviously that kind of fit, that feels like it fits into this genre although that's all like you know science fictional in terms i mean not like realistic or anything but i mean it's like it's robots and shit um but like i mean you know i think this definitely qualifies or at least you know is worth talking about in the conversation um and uh you know, and I mean, as far as that goes, like, I mean, I would say, yeah, definitely toward the top. I mean, um, is it, is it better than Burrowers? I don't know. I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to rewatch and compare them. And of course, this is incomplete. We've only seen the first four episodes, but, um, I'm really excited about it so far. And I mean, I, I think it's, uh, there, there's so little competition, honestly, that, I mean, it's like, well, by default, of course, it has to be amongst the top, you know, because there's so much terrible, um, that, uh, um, that, that doesn't have, it's not a very high bar that it has to clear to be among the best. But um, even that, even that said, I, I do think it uh, it's definitely you know toward the top there. Right, and I'm going to attempt to justify my defining this as weird western because, as I've said, I don't think that this really works too well as science fiction. I really think that this is like horror and western. It's like somebody had a nightmare involving <laughs> robots, right? I and mean, that's what it is to me. Like the 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 robot stuff is really pretty. The robots as robots to me is pretty secondary i think i really see this as like a nightmare somebody had about a western where it turns out that everybody's a robot um but i see it more as a horror more of a horror story than as a science fiction story oh i really really don't i mean i guess i do take weird as a term pretty literally for me it would need to have something supernatural cosmic something out of place or time now that's how the androids feel you know, from their perspective, it is a weird Western. There's this outside world that they don't understand and they're kind of in awe and small and where do they fit into it? But the overall tone of the show doesn't seem horror or weird to me at all. Um, It's To me, it's straight up science fiction with Western elements. Although I am kind of curious about, um, you know, well, first the maze what could be at the center of it. I hope it's not like the matrix and it's just like a wall of TV screens and an old dude in an armchair, you know, like there's Arnold and he's like the architect or something. Uh, But I am wondering about that constellation or the thing that looks like a constellation people keep finding. Cause I'm like, wow, at first I was like, okay, that's Orion. That's weird. But then when you find out, Uh, uh, you just said it, it's weird. (laughs) Ha! <laughs> well, no, that's, gotcha. yeah, that's where I'm going. Yeah, actually, that's where I'm going. Okay. Because if the stars are out of line, like, what if, you know, someone who created Westworld fucked up a constellation and gave Orion an extra star in his belt? That's weird. That's off kilter. Mm-hmm. That's, there's no order in this world. It's a key to something else, a bigger mystery. That would be weird. The fact that there are robots, there's nothing steampunk, there's nothing... Until we see a tentacle, I am <laughs> hesitant to say anything. <laughs> I strongly suspect they're going to get to the center of the maze, and there's going to be a button you have to push every 
hour. Or whatever. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> then I'm out. I'm out. J.J. Abrams is a producer on this show. That's true. He is, but, you know, this show, the way it's treating its mythology, at least in the first couple of episodes, reminds me a little bit of the other Lost creator, Damon Lindelhoff's, his drama, oh. Leftovers. Um, Why did you have to mention that name? Wait, sorry, sorry, I couldn't hear what show you mentioned because John was going, uh, so loudly. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't really know what else Lindelhoff has done since Lost, um, except for this other HBO show that I'm watching, The Leftovers. Uh, it kind of approaches its center mystery in a similar way to Westworld. It's like, okay, what caused the rapture event on the leftovers? You know, and they answer it with this restraint and basically ask you to ask a different question. Does it matter what caused the rapture when no explanation will cure the characters of feeling like utter shit? So there might be a larger dream within a dream at Delos. And perhaps maybe that's what Ed Harris wants. But will any revelation be as interesting as watching the androids next evolutionary step as it's happening from their point of view? And I don't think it will. Or I think maybe a lot of Lost and Galactica and a zillion other shows have kind of made me lower my expectations just a little bit and not try to hope that anything will ever be answered in any satisfying mm -hmm. way ever. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's a good note to end on. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I don't, do you guys have any? Yeah, we should wrap this up because we're pretty much uh, out of time. Do you guys have any final, any other final words or anything? So, uh, Anna Raj, any final thoughts on uh, Westworld? Just that I'm interested to see where the story goes, and I'm slightly annoyed that I have to wait a month until the new episode's there. <laughs> uh, how about John? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, like I said, uh, I'm really happy with it so far. I'm really curious to see where it's going to go. Um, I, uh, I'm not too tied onto my, uh, theory there. So, I mean, if it goes in some other direction, I'm not going to be disappointed or anything, but I I'm really curious to find out if I'm right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I like it a lot. And Teresa, any, any other, anything else you want to add? Yeah, I'm really curious to see where Dr. Ford is going with his big narrative that's taking over the world. And you're getting a little hint of him as a very powerful designer. At first, I thought he was kind of like the sad um, Vincent Price inventor in Edward Scissorhands. You know, we've seen that character before. But now that he's kind of demonstrated some of his power over the world that he's created, I'm really interested in seeing what this bigger, deeper storyline is. And yeah, I mean, it's an HBO show. It, this definitely has that HBO pedigree of cast and acting and music, visuals. It's good. It's giving me a lot to think about. And it's pretty fun, too. And I think once I get a better handle on some of the characters, um, I'll definitely find some more charm in it. Yeah, and I'll say, I mean, I, I really loved the first four episodes. I blazed through them, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more. I think that, like, I'll probably be totally on board for the first season. I'm a little skeptical about it, this going to five or six seasons and me sticking with it. Um, but if it does, they're going to need to, I think, mix things up a lot more and more than just, you know, robots, good people. Tentacles. Yeah, ten <laughs> more tentacles. I will say I am a little worried that it's all going to go terribly awry somehow because it is, yep. it's, it is that type of, like, plot like like you know you described like comparing it to Battlestar Galactica or Lost you know it, it does have that same kind of plot that it's like I'm worried I've been burned before <laughs> yep. so I, I mean I am concerned but I like it so far 
Um, all right, cool. So, yeah, so I think we're going to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with John Joseph Adams, Teresa DeLucci, and Rajan Khanna. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Let's play some Red Dead. <laughs> Time to giddy up on out of here, folks. <laughs> and that was our panel. So big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Teresa DeLucci, and Rajan Khanna for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to everyone who's given us five stars on iTunes, including Tom Middlebrook in Australia, who writes, Awesome. Awesome to the max. Love this podcast. I have heard interviews with my favorite authors and tributes to my favorite authors who have tragically passed. David always has an incredible amount of background knowledge of his interviewees, and I have been introduced to many new authors and books through this podcast, as well as gaining an insight into the trials, tribulations, and pleasures of professional writing. Learning that people like Michael Swanwick have numerous stories going at once and can spend years on a particular story is reassuring to an aspiring writer. So big thanks again to Tom Middlebrook for that great review. Special thanks as well to Joshua, who just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time or fixed monthly contribution, you can do that via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for today's show, Casper Mattress. Remember that if you do decide to order a mattress, you should visit casper.com galaxy and use the promo code galaxy. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarrkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.